Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of Hashtag Pistons Podcast. I'm Joe, I'm still your host. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore truck. You can read me on Hashtag Basketball, Palace of Pistons, Piston Powered, and my own site, truckthoughts.com. Today, Ku is out, but we are joined by Tyler Mormon. You can find him on Twitter at TMormonNBA. And you can also read him on Palace of Pistons and my own site, truckthoughts.com. Um, yeah, so he's on today. We've got plenty to talk about. Obviously, last night the Pistons played a game, or I suppose by the time this comes out, it'll be two nights ago. Um, the Pistons defeated the Orlando Magic to get back to 500. They defeated them 103-96. to um, Notable stat lines, Andre Drummond, of course, finished the game with 23 points, 19 rebounds, eight of which were offensive. He also had three steals on a block. Blake Griffin had 20 points, although not terribly efficiently. Um, and then off the bench, Stanley Johnson had a really good game, scored 13 points. Uh, the Magic, for the Magic, I suppose, uh, what's his face? Evan Fournier did score 27 points on highly efficient shooting from the field, but their bench was terrible. The Pistons bench was good. That was really the difference in the game was the benches. So to start off, we're going to have Tyler, what, just sort of general thoughts, takeaways from the game last night. Um, overall, I thought it was a pretty good game, a great performance from our bench. I'm looking at the plus minuses, and everybody on our bench was at least plus 15, except for Calderon, he was plus 14. Um, I thought it was super streaky. Uh, we know I feel like we need to find a way to be a bit more consistent, and I think that falls mainly on the defensive end. They had a really big streak there in the first half, and then coming into the third again, the Magic started tearing us up, getting into the lane, especially Fournier himself. Yeah, um, it was honestly not even just in the fact that it was streaky, because it was streaky, but it was honestly in a lot of ways it was just kind of a kind of a strange game just because it was so streaky. There were moments where various guys started hitting shots for a little bit, um, it very much had the vibe of a te- of a game between two teams that are really, as of now at least, pretty poor offensive teams. Um, the Pistons and Magic are the bottom two teams in the NBA in true shooting percentages right now. The Magic's true shooting percentage is only 51.1%. The Pistons are at 52.2%. So it kind of looked like that. And, yeah, I mean... One thing that's definitely worth noting, once again, uh, me and Koo talked about this last time out, but if you're going to make the starting lineup change for Glenn Robinson over Stanley Johnson, um, one thing that you have to just sort of accept is that opposing wing players are going to give you trouble, good ones at least. And Evan Fournier is not some super high-level player, but he definitely qualifies. Yeah, he definitely qualifies as a really solid scoring wing player, and he gave them a lot of trouble in this game. He scored 27 points, only took 19 shots to get it, so highly, highly efficient. Uh, Also had three assists, so it's just kind of like, this doesn't, once again, this doesn't even mean that it's not worth it to swap out Stanley Johnson for Glenn Robinson. It's just, because I've already seen people like, man, that's the second straight game that someone scored a but. If you don't have Stanley Johnson in there and you have Glenn Robinson in there instead, that's just a reality that you're going to have to live with. Just like 
if you put Stanley Johnson back in the starting lineup, you just have to accept that the the paint's going to be more crowded because people don't defend against Stanley Johnson when he's open on the perimeter. So it's just one of those things that you just have to accept is going to happen and be there. I don't, I, I don't disagree at all with the call to start GR3. I think that in today's league, getting your offense going and getting points on the board quickly is is a big thing. You know, you look at um, last year's Rockets team, they were really good defensively, but at the same time, D'Antoni always had that mindset of we're just going to score more than you and try and keep up. And I think that's kind of what Casey was trying to do here because um, we started off real slow offensively in these games that we were losing in this five-game losing streak. So you put GR3 in, hoping you can establish some kind of lead, some kind of early points, and then that's where you're going to want to put Stanley in and hoping he can clamp up on defense. But last night it was almost the opposite. Glenn Robinson only shot two for seven, one for four from three. And when Stanley came in, he was shooting 50% all the way across the board. So... It's it's a catch fifty two. It's just gonna be whoever has the hot hand that night. I think is whoever's gonna get more minutes. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's worth noting here. So Stanley Johnson went three of six from deep, and I'm not suggesting that that's going to be a regular occurrence or even close to it. But um, earlier, this is probably before the season it even started. Ku talked to me about how he thought that Stanley Johnson had made a change to his shooting form, and I was kind of like, I don't really see it, Ku. Um, after last night, like, because I've been watching more closely to it because Helbridius on Twitter, who, if you don't follow, you should definitely follow him on Twitter, Helbridius. Um, he got into that conversation and said, yeah, I actually think he has and pointed some things out. So I've been watching that more closely and last night it really did show up. And what Hal says that I think is really accurate at this point is there, he has a good shot and a bad shot. And his problem is that oftentimes he relapses into bad habits and last night was an example of him staying in the good habits where you could really see it. It's more compact. There's not these bad leg kicks. He lands in the same spot he takes off from. He doesn't jump as high. Um, it's just much more of a good set shot. So I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily going to result in, you know, much better results than in the past because, I mean, if you're expecting Stanley Johnson to improve his three-point shooting, that that seems kind of foolish at this point, but he definitely does have a different form and it does look better. So he, I would, he may be able to improve at least a bit on that. And, you know, it is kind of, it is kind of funny that, like you said, it was a little bit swapped in this game where Stanley Johnson had a really good offensive game and Glenn Robinson struggled a little bit. But one thing that I would disagree with you a little bit on is the whole hot hand idea, because I think you have, it has to be more of a matchup thing where there are some teams and some players in particular where Stanley Johnson's defense is going to be a requirement for them. But then other than that, even on nights where Glenn Robinson maybe isn't hitting early on, um, I think you have to keep, in the, keep him in there. I think that it's, in as a general rule, I think it's not a good idea to to sort of try and play the game as a coach to sort of play guys where, well, this guy seemed like he had the hot hand or not. No, Glenn Robinson is a better offensive player. He's a better shooter. We know this for a fact. Even if he misses his first couple of shots, he's a good shooter. He'll start hitting them eventually, even if he doesn't in that game. And, you know, 
there's there's been a lot of research that has gone into the whole hot hand idea, and it's mostly there's not really a whole lot of truth to it. So it's just you can definitely see where you're coming from with that, especially from the point of view of just straight up making the defense respect the perimeter more and giving Dre and Blake more space in the paint to play with. Um, so yeah, I guess I can definitely see that point. I guess it's just. Especially after, I'm sure you and Koo touched on it, but going back to that Miami Heat game, if I still scream at the top of the mountains, if Stanley was in there, Richardson doesn't do what he does. And that's just kind of where I feel like you have to put Stanley in when those defense-first situations. Oh, yeah. And the thing, I'm yeah, we did we did talk about this a little bit, so I'm not going to go too far on about it. But, um, you know, the big thing about that was that Blake Griffin was out of the game. And if Blake Griffin is out of the game, I much I don't like Reggie Jackson and Ishmith on the floor together nearly as much, because when you've got Blake Griffin in, then he's obviously the focus of the offense, right? And then I sort of like the idea of having Blake Griffin as the center, and then you've got two guys who essentially are acting as secondary ball handlers who can work off of him. I like that. But without Blake Griffin, it's essentially Jackson and Smith sort of doing the my turn, your turn thing except that Jackson's just so much better at that that there's no reason to have Ish there, and you're, he's killing your defense. And um, With, oh, with Stanley doing a real good job there at the four last night, do you think when Blake is in those situations where he's fouled out or is in foul trouble, do you think Casey goes to Stanley at the four more often? Or um, the NP coach's decision last night, so... Um, I mean... It's tough to say. Dwayne Casey's been pretty unpredictable with his rotations so far this year. Uh, a couple of the beat writers have said that he's he's still trying to f- sort of sort of feel out his guys and learn guys' strengths and weaknesses. Which, for what it's worth, and I've said this a couple times, but I will stand by it. I actually really some of the things that have been passed off as well. He's still learning his players' strengths and weaknesses. Actually, is hugely concerning to me because it's like. I'm, you're you're the head coach. It's not like he was hired yesterday. Like you would think that he would have known coming into the season that oh Reggie Jackson's best situation is in the pick and roll. We should let him do that more. And it shouldn't have taken you know nine games for them to figure that out. But that's another thing altogether, I suppose. Um, but his rotations have been unpredictable enough so far that I probably wouldn't make a whole lot of not very confident predictions for that sort of thing. Yeah. But I do think that the Jackson-Smith-Galloway lineups, those can die, honestly. Uh, just, you just You're just totally punting on defense, and it's a good offensive lineup, but it is not nearly good enough. If Jackson and Smith were both really good shooters then it maybe would be good enough offensively to offset the defense, at least in some matchups. But I obviously neither Smith or Jackson are very good shooters. Ishmith, by the way, is down to shooting 33% from deep on the season. And still yeah, nobody... for four last night. Yeah, still nobody guards him at all. And they never started to, so it's not like, well, he's shooting worse, but it's because people are guarding him now. No, no one ever started to guard him. He's just missing the wide-open shots now. And then, once again, that's the reason why I felt like in the Miami Heat game, they should have put Stanley Johnson in for Ishmith, because if you put Stanley Johnson in for Lanks and Galloway, 
then at that point you're getting rid of so much of your spacing that you're killing your offense. So put him in for Ishmith, and then you still have Langston Galloway for a floor spacer. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I cer- I've kind of remained a proponent of starting Stanley Johnson just because of the fact that I think there's just there's so many good wing scores in the NBA that I think having a guy like Stanley Johnson in your starting lineup is really important to building a, a capable defense. But on the other hand, it's definitely his offense has been bad enough that it's definitely fair to suggest that they're better off just saying, you know, we're going to have trouble with big wings. Our defense is going to suffer, but we can't have his him starting. Um, and for what it's worth, it's something you kind of touched on a little bit before where you said almost in the style of um, Mark D'Antoni, or not Mark D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni, where it's just we're just going to outscore you. The starting lineup I actually would like to see in the future is Luke Kennard and Reggie Bullock starting on the wings because, once again, those lineups would probably hemorrhage points. They would not defend very well, but they would theoretically at least be almost unstoppable on offense. And I'm pretty much in favor of, more often than not, if you can just do something and be awesome at it, just do that and figure out the rest later. So, yeah, I certainly get the logic behind starting Glenn Robinson. It's a worthwhile thing for them to look at. I'm just, I'm not totally sold on that. They're going to be able to defend at a high enough level with him on the floor to really offset it because he's obviously a better shooter than Stanley Johnson, but Glenn Robinson is not some sniper. He's just, he's a fairly reliable shooter who can do a couple other things putting the ball on the floor. So, and he really, oh man, it's not just that he's not the same sort of, you know, tenacious, big, strong, on-ball defender that Stanley Johnson is. It's that he's just not a very attentive defender. Like, in this Magic game alone, I think there were three or four times he got just outright beat on backdoor cuts. And it's like, you just can't have that happen. I mean, he's not a good enough defender to really make life difficult for guys in one-on-one situations. So when you're already, you know, starting behind like that, you can't be giving away free points. So what would you think if Bullet gets stays cold if doing like a happy medium kind of lineup with like Luke and Stanley starting and when Luke gets back if he's uh shooting well? What would you think about something like that? That's kind of a lineup I've been throwing around in my head lately. Uh Reggie Bullock would have to continue to be cold like into January before I'd consider that. Um He's just, he's got a good enough track record at this point of being a high-level shooter that I'm, I, he's going to hit them at some point. So he would have to stay cold for a really long time for me to consider taking him out of the starting lineup because he's pretty clearly the Pistons' best wing, I think. So I, if it were to extend long enough to the point where it's like somehow or another Reggie Bullock is broken, you know, there's been, he's supposedly not all the way healthy right now. That may have something to do with it. Uh, so let's just say hypothetically, okay, the sort of kind of health issues that have plagued him early in the season or supposed health issues that continues all far into the season and he just he just doesn't have it. Um, then, yeah, I would probably start Luke Kennard. Um, Galloway would be maybe... But I think with Galloway starting, once again, you're just you're giving up a lot of size, and also 
he's such a streaky shooter that I'm not sure how I feel about having him as the starter just because there are some nights where that dude can't hit the broad side of a barn. And so I'd rather have that, you know, I'd rather have him as a bench guy. He's a good shooter, but he's not quite good enough. If he could avoid those nights where he goes like 0 for 6, <laughs> then I'd be okay with him being a starter, but he can't. So he's a he's, you know, he's a 37% three-point shooter, not a 40% three-point shooter. So I'd rather him come off the bench. So I'd probably start Luke Kennard. And yeah, I mean, and obviously I think really highly of Luke Kennard, so do you. So I think the big thing with Stanley versus Glenn Robinson is just going to be who, whichever one can manage to sort of prove under any amount of a decent sample size, which one can do enough on their weaker end to not offset what they do on the strong end. So with Glenn Robinson in, can the Pistons defend well enough to you know, not lose what he brings on offense. And if Stanley Johnson does get a shot as a starter again, can he give, you know, just somehow find enough on offense to make it so that it's not totally offsetting all the good he does on your defense? So, yeah, it's, it's, that's a pretty, it's going to remain a big question for the Pistons for a while. And their starting lineup in general has been quite bad this season. But, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I still kind of lean starting Stanley Johnson, but I'm definitely intrigued by the way Glenn Robinson has played in his first two games in the starting lineup, for sure. And then, um, crap, what else were we even going to talk about? Oh, 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 I remember what we were going to talk about. At least, at least one thing. So, I got um, into... So, Keith Langley's obviously does mailbags. I got into... I get into the mailbag with a question. So here's basically what it was. So the question I asked was that Dwayne Casey spent a lot of the offseason talking about how there would be fewer post-ups and more ball movement this offseason. The Pistons are posting up a ton and have the second lowest assist percentage in the NBA. What's his plan to fix that? Um, Basically what Langlois responded with was make more open threes. Um, (laughs) So here's the thing, right? With Langlois, he's employed by the team, so a lot of the time you can assume that when what he says is more or less the official team line. And if that's truthfully what Dwayne Casey thinks, I'm pretty concerned because, so the, as he mentions in this, um, the Pistons are in the top ten in creating uncontested shots. Guess one of the what one of the reasons their three point shots are uncontested. No one guards several of the guys who've taken a lot of their three-point shots. And they have not done a whole lot of sort of sort of creative stuff, I suppose, that's going to that's going to create good looks for their shooters, which is the biggest concern to me, I think. And then the other thing is that um, with the post-ups, he talks about Blake Griffin and how Blake Griffin's post-ups are a good thing. And we all know that I'm not talking about Blake Griffin post-ups. We're all, I'm talking about Andre Drummond post-ups. And so it's just kind of it's just kind of funny because it's like, you know, it, basically he just deflected both of them and acted as though they're not actually issues. And if that's actually what Dwayne Casey thinks, then that's concerning because clearly Andre Drummond post-ups are not a good thing, certainly not at the volume that they have been this season. And 
they need to somehow find a way to shoot more threes and move the ball more because they do not pass very much. They're second worst in the NBA in assisting on shots, or at least they were. Oh, they moved up to third. The Knicks fell below them. <laughs> so, yeah, just it, it's a bit concerning. What do you think about that, Tyler? I think a lot of the, the low assist numbers, too, falls down, too. Even though, you know, they say that they do really good at finding open shots, it seems like a lot of the offense lately has just been my turn, your turn type of deals to where, like, even if someone is open, it's just because Ish ran around for a second and realized, oh, no one's covering me, so I'm going to throw this up. Instead of a lot of swing passes and looking up, uh, Stanley had one really good where he decided not to take the three and swung the pass and got a really good look to Langston, which he knocks down. Um, I think it kind of also goes back to the lack of pick and rolls. Um, our assist numbers would go up a lot more if we could go back to running that classic Reggie Andre pick and rolls. And even if I think Blake needs to run a lot less pick and pops and do a pick and roll, I, I honestly can think I can count on my hands the amount of times I've seen Blake roll off a pick this year. And it's kind of concerning, but I think a lot of this too is going to fall back to when Casey says make more threes. I think he's hoping when Luke gets back and Reggie finds himself again that those shots will start falling and then, you know, people will stop worrying about it so much. Well, you know, here's one other thing with that, okay? Because, and Langlois brought this up too, well, Luke Kennard will come back and such. Remember that Luke Kennard was not actually playing that much before he got hurt. And we all know that Dwayne Casey really values defense guys. Like, there's a reason Bruce Brown has played some this season already. So even when they're all the way healthy, are we actually that confident that he's going to play his shooters that much? And so that's just that's just another thing that's a little bit concerning. Um and yeah, like you said, they they just they do not have very good ball movement. There's a lot of it's a lot of stagnation. It's a lot of sitting and watching Blake Griffin post up. There's not a whole lot of creativity. And for what it's worth, they have started to get back a little bit more to the pick and roll and letting Reggie Jackson operate out of that the last two games, which is a really positive a really positive uh what's the word I'm looking for? A really I guess I'll just go with thing. That's not a very elegant word, but whatever. A very positive thing for the Pistons the last couple of games is that Reggie Jackson has sort of started to find his stride, and it's because they've started running some pick and rolls. And they've even had, the last two games, Blake Griffin has even rolled to the hoop like two or three times, which has been, a, once again, a nice change of pace. Um, that'd be another thing that I'd be curious about being able to ask Dwayne Casey about, because I wonder if, like you said, Blake Griffin has not rolled to the hoop at all this season. Just It's been totally non-existent from his game. And I'm curious if that is if that is Blake simply deciding, no, I don't want to roll to the rim, or if that's Dwayne Casey saying, no, don't roll to the rim. Because if that's Dwayne Casey deciding that, then that's a... Whoever's decision it is, is that Blake Griffin is not rolling to the hoop, I think that person is making a poor decision there because obviously Blake Griffin is not, he's not the same leaper dunker that he was five years ago, but he's got really good hands. He's a great finisher at the hoop. So even though he's not this high flyer anymore, he still can be an effective role man. And at the very least, it's a way to get him post-up position closer to the hoop. So I I do Especially, think they should, 
yeah, with this uh, new freedom of movement rule or whatever they're calling. Um, I think it's a really good chance, you know, letting Blake get some penetration looks and off the pick and roll and giving it to him as he's cutting. That can be another way to draw a lot more fouls, even though I think when you're talking about whose decision it is not to go into the paint as much, I think maybe, uh, especially these last few games, you've really seen Blake's frustrations with the refs. I don't think Blake and Andre have been getting a lot of friendly whistles this year in the paint. So I wonder if maybe Blake is just tired of getting hacked down there and not getting calls. So he was finding a hot hand from up top at three for the first while of the of the season here. So I wonder if maybe he's just saying, screw it, I'll stay up here and keep shooting, even though I think he was one for five last night from three. Well, um, let's see here. Andre Drummond certainly does not get a friendly, um, a friendly whistle. That is that is for sure. He complains too much about it, but he 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 definitely, <laughs> he's definitely got a beef there. Um, one thing though, I think now Blake Griffin probably deserves to get to the line more than he does, but he does take quite a few. He's third in the NBA in free throw attempts right now. So I'd say that he's not getting an, a bad whistle at least so far, but I mean, yeah, like you said, it's just, and it, it kind of goes into my larger issues with the offense under Dwayne Casey. So like you said, at the very least, it's a way for him to sort of get into easier position, maybe draw some fouls and such, and just in general, make his life a little bit easier. And you know, I'm not sitting here pretending to be some tactical genius who knows all the answers to these things, but I would say that there's some pretty simple things that the Pistons could do in their offense that will make life just a little bit easier on Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, and they just don't seem to have any interest in doing that. They seem to want to make things, make it so that, all right, and Blake Griffin can make it work because Blake Griffin is great. But they seem pretty determined to make Blake Griffin be great every night for him to be effective. And, you know, once again, Blake Griffin's good enough that he can make that work. But I would rather try and make it so that he doesn't need to be great every possession. You know, give him a little bit of help. And there was actually one possession in the last game, and I'm actually going to... I didn't have enough time to do a proper film review post of it, but I am going to do something just because I saw this play where they actually did something and they it worked really well. And basically all it was is it just sort of... Because even though Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson are not good enough shooters to sort of provide spacing for one another, at least not very much, they both, when they have the ball in their hands, they both draw the attention of the defense. So if you're clever, you can find ways to have one have the ball and sort of set up and start an action and then very quickly switch to the other one. And then the other one gets to attack against a scrambling defense. And it just it's just those little things that make life just a little bit easier for those guys. It's going to result in them hitting an extra bucket. You know, even if it's just once every other game, they get an extra bucket that they'd be missing otherwise. That sort of stuff matters over the long term. I think that, honestly, I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate just how small the margin for error is in the NBA. Like, Oh, I probably should have brought these numbers up. I don't have them in front of me. But last season, when Reggie Jackson got hurt, the main difference for the Pistons was that their points per 100 possessions went down like by like 2.5 points, which is a huge drop. But when you think about that, and especially when you consider the Pistons didn't even 
play 100 possessions every game. They average like 98, I think, or something like that. Like, that's about one bucket per game. That was the difference between pre-Reggie Jackson, when Reggie Jackson was healthy at the start of last year, and when he got hurt, and they utterly went in the tank. Like, that was the difference, is just about one bucket per game. So being willing to sort of find ways just to make life a little bit easier for these guys so that you try and find an extra bucket or two per game, that makes a really big difference for your offense. And also in particular when you have guys that have been as injury-prone as Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin, that matters even more than that. So, yeah, I don't know. It is it is definitely a bit frustrating that they seem so committed to not doing anything to make their guys' lives easier. Um, and I think... Um a perfect example of what your point was there where they were relying a lot on Blake being great is that first Boston game where Boston just came out there and said, we're going to do everything we can to make Blake miserable out here and make everyone else beat us. And just, we weren't able to run the offense around anyone else to, to beat them period. When Blake wasn't going, we were just getting whooped. Yeah. I mean, and it is worth noting that the Celtics are the best defensive team in the NBA for a reason. Like, <laughs> the Pistons are not the yeah. only offense who has been rendered ineffective against the Celtics. But, yeah, that is a perfect example where the Celtics found a way to really keep Blake down, and the Pistons just did not have an answer to it. They could not find something. First off, they couldn't. They never came up with something to make Blake's life easier to sort of help him get going and they never came up with something to have someone else succeed either. So, yeah, um, we are almost to a half hour, so I think to finish up, we'll talk a little bit about what will be, when this comes out, at least tonight's game against the Atlanta Hawks. Um, do you have anything to say about that game tonight? Um, Just that I think, even though, you know, people are going to say it's a, a poop team fest or a bad matchup, I think you can't sleep on these nights like this. This is going to be the difference for Detroit on being a bottom seed mediocre team in the East to being one of the top five to six teams in the East is showing up and actually handling these games where you're supposed to show up and win big or win decidedly instead of just barely squeaking out these games like we were in the beginning of the year against teams like Chicago and so on. Yeah, and the other thing to remember is that the Hawks have... I'm Look, I don't want to overstate it. The Hawks are bad. They are quite bad. But they have been not totally terrible. Like, they've not been the totally been a lot better than I thought he was going to be. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. They, they've not been totally helpless. They've been bad, but... They might just be, because, you know, it's sort of, in particular, the the 76ers at the peak of the process um, really skewed this, where it's like, okay, are they normal bad, or are they, like, historically bad, where they're just utterly terrible? The Hawks look just sort of normal bad, where, like, yeah, they're bad, but they're an NBA team bad. They're not, they're not the process Sixers, they're not the... They're not the Kings or the Suns of the last couple of years, or at least they don't look like it. Um, like you said, Trey Young has not been bad so far this year. As far as rookies go, he's actually been quite good. He's shooting really poorly from deep. He's only shooting 27% on 6.4 attempts per game. Um, Torian Prince is also shooting pretty poorly, which is a bit of a surprise. He's finished, he finished last season really, really strong. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, they've got some guys who can play. They play hard. They seem like, I haven't watched a ton of them, but they do seem like they're fairly well coached. 
most of their fundamentals at least are fairly sound with what they want to do on both ends. So the one other thing they do have going for them, the Pistons have going for them, is even though this is not a back-to-back for the Hawks, it is their third game in four nights, so the Hawks will certainly not be on super fresh legs. So, I mean, it'll be... They should win, once again. I don't want to overstate it. The Pistons should win. This is a game they this is a game that the Pistons should absolutely win. But just the Hawks are probably not a total pushover. And especially if Trey Young starts hitting some shots, which he hasn't this season, but if he does, it could very quickly become a game. So another thing we got going for us too. Um which I don't know if he's really a big name coming up in the young player category of the league, but John Collins won't be playing, it looks like, either. It looks like his ankle is still acting up, which uh, which is a good thing for us. I think he's a pretty solid young power forward, so well, it's a plus for us. Yeah, so with John Collins out, so this is probably, whew, excuse me, yeah, this is probably the best news for the Pistons. So the Hawks will start Alex Len. And their backup center will be Miles Plumley. Their starting power forward is probably going to be Amari Spielman. <laughs> That's not a lot of umph up front. Alex Lunn is not actually terrible. Uh, he's still an interesting player that could maybe bring something to the table in the future. But <laughs> there is not. Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond should be able to have a really effective game. In particular, Blake Griffin. The Hawks really don't have a good defender for him, so we could be in for another really big Blake Griffin game, which is always fun. So, yeah, the Pistons should win, but the Hawks are not total pushovers. I wouldn't be surprised if um, they showed some real fight, especially in Atlanta. So, yeah, we are over 30 minutes. I'm very tired. Um, Do you have any sort of closing thoughts on anything that you wanted to talk about but didn't get to? Um, No, I think that's about it. All right, cool. So that's going to be that. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen. And um, stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.